generative AI is here and it has changed the rules of the game. Experts like Seth Godin and Robert McKee have been very clear. The authors who are going to make it in this business are those who are writing truly amazing, knock-your-socks-off innovative stories. The bar is that high. AI will replace mediocre writers. But at some point, everybody is mediocre. So what do you do? You educate yourself. And the good news is that there's still time, but you've got to start leveling up right away. I'm Valerie Francis, and I've got a series of webinars to help you do just that. My specialty is helping authors like you put theory into practice. Understanding the tools of our trade and being able to apply them with precision is no longer an option. It's an absolute necessity. So go to valeriefrancis.ca slash webinars for more information and sign up for the notifications. You can't afford not to. If you want to write stories your readers will love, there are three things you need to do. Understand storytelling principles, see how other writers have applied those principles, and of course, you have to use them in your own work. Here on the Story Nerd Podcast, our goal is to demystify story theory. We'll help you with the first two steps so that you can get started with the third. My name is Valerie Francis. I'm a writer and literary editor, and I focus on stories by, for, and about women. And I'm Melanie Hill, writer, editor, and poet, and I have a passion for spy stories, fairy tales, and master detective novels. On today's episode, Melanie pitched The Woman King so that we can study conflict. This 2022 film was directed by Gina Prince-Blythewood from a screenplay by Dana Stevens, based on a story by Maria Bello and Dana Stevens. Lots of women there. I like that. Of course, there will be spoilers because we can't talk about the movie without talking about the movie. And please help other writers find our show by leaving a rating and review. For Apple Podcast listeners, you can do it right from your phone. Simply go to the show's landing page and scroll to the bottom. It's that simple. All right, Melanie, The Woman King. Right, The Woman King. So first of all, I have to say that it is wonderful to see a strong and talented cast of women on the screen. So I love the training scenes and the battle scenes in The Woman King just as much as I love the same scenes in the Wonder Woman movies. So it is a, it's just such a joy to watch those sorts of movies with those sorts of women in it. However, I think there are a few problems with the movie and in my opinion, it's down to a lack of opposition between the external and the internal conflict and also what's at stake for the characters. I am so glad to hear you say this because I had a really similar reaction, to be honest. Now, I didn't have time to analyze the story to that level this week, but I had the sense that the movie wasn't quite sure what it wanted to be. Like it's trying, in my opinion, it's trying to tell three stories in the time of one story. So all three got short shrift. And the three stories I'm talking about, of course, are Naniska's story, Nawe's story, and the story of the slave trade. Now, you know, Melanie, there's definitely interesting stuff happening here in this movie. But overall, it didn't hold my interest. I think you're right. I think it didn't hold my interest because I didn't empathize the way that I needed to. I couldn't feel the tension. I didn't feel the stakes. And a lot of that comes down to problems with the conflict. 
So I'm curious to hear what you've uh, what you've got for us this week. Yeah, well, originally, right, that's funny because I was thinking about this in terms of physical conflict, in terms of the movie, like the the woman king and the um, you know the battles and things like that. But what I actually have ended up studying in this episode is really that the lack of a certain a different type of conflict, I suppose. Um, and this is good. Uh, I didn't know this was going to happen because I haven't seen the movie before um, this week. So it was the first time that I've watched it. And it's probably a different lesson to the one that I thought I was going to draw from it. But it has been really good in terms of, you know, my study for this season, which is on, you know, the differences between or the, the interconnection between internal and external conflict. And, you know, just so everyone knows that as a basis for my study this season, I've used Janice Hardy's book, which is called Understanding Conflict and What It Really Means. So this is a really good place to start and it's a really good resource to start with if you want to learn more about what conflict is and probably more important, what conflict isn't, because I think there's a little bit of confusion out there generally about conflict and how it works in the story and what it is and what it isn't. So in episode one, so last week, I mentioned that conflict is a complex blend of wants and needs, stakes, antagonism, and also the protagonist's internal struggle. So to study how conflict works, we have to understand a number of storytelling principles. And this is great because it means we can identify when the conflict in a story isn't working and then fix it. I also said last week that saying a story is about conflict is actually a really incomplete way to describe what's going on. Conflict is essential in a story, but you can also have conflict without story. Now, Hardy says, and I quote, conflict is the one-two combo of a challenge faced and the struggle to overcome that challenge, end quote. So conflict needs to be present for the characters to struggle and then hopefully overcome the problems they face. And this is how conflict contributes to a story and building a story. Now this season I want to focus on the external and the internal conflicts of the characters in a story and how they work together to create compelling stories. External conflict is the plot conflict So the external problems or obstacles that get placed in the way of the protagonist to stop them or to hinder them from achieving their objects of desire. So these are the physical obstacles. In The Woman King, the movie starts with a voiceover explaining the situation in West Africa in 1823. And we are told three key pieces of information that established the external conflict for the story. And we get told the want, the stakes, and the obstacles. So in The Woman King, these are King Geza and General Naniska want to stop the collapse of the Dahomey Kingdom, and Naniska wants to stop the selling of all people into the slave trade. Now, the forces of antagonism or the obstacles are the Oyo Empire, the Mahi people, and the European slave traders. Now, the existence of the Dahomey Empire is at stake, and with this, so is the existence of the Agoji, 
the female army that Naniska leads. So if the Agoji fail, the Dahomey Empire will disappear. And just to go a little bit further, so what is the likelihood of that outcome happening and what is the likelihood of the Agoji losing? As the story builds and we learn that the Oyo have a larger army, they are on horseback and they have guns, so that outcome seems certain. Now, within the first two minutes of the movie, we see the Agoji in action. Now, they have amazing stealth, they are fierce, and they defeat the men of the Mahi tribe that they attack. Now, this opening scene is interesting from a conflict point of view. We assume that the Agoji are there to stop the Mahi people from raiding Dahomey villages, but we're actually not sure really what it is that they're doing there or why they're there. And it's not until the end of the fight scene that the Agoji's object of desire for the scene is revealed. They are there to free the Dahomey villages the Mahi have taken. So the point of this scene is to show the power of the Agoji and reinforce the situation stated in the opening monologue. However, as I was watching it, I found it really hard to understand the specific motivation for the conflict because the warrior's motivation for the attack was not clear. By the end of the fight, we know that the Agoji were there to rescue the people and take Oyo prisoners. Naniska also finds evidence of Oyo soldiers on horseback who have been to the village that they've just attacked. Now this raises the stakes because the forces of antagonism are more powerful than expected. Now as an aside, the tension in the story should be rising now and tension isn't necessarily conflict. Well, it's not conflict. Tension is the expectation that something is going to happen. The establishment of the conflict between the two kingdoms and the discovery of the horseshoe has created the expectation that the Oyo are going to attack the Dahomey on horseback. So the external conflict has created a situation for the tension to build. Now, this is good, right? Yeah, excellent. That's what we want as storytellers. We want to increase the conflict and increase the tension. So the expectation that something's going to happen. And we have the external conflict right there for us to see. And we are expecting the Oyo to make a move. And this is exactly what Naniska is thinking too. And that's why she asks for an audience with the king. But then we switch to Nawi's story and a behind-the-scenes look at the Agoji and how they train to become warriors. So this is a point, I believe, where the tension dissipates. So we are starting to see some problems with the story structure right here at the beginning of the movie. And I think that Nawe's story is a distraction in the movie. So, Valerie, I just want to pause there and get your thoughts. What do you think of that story? Ah, now, this is a good question. <laughs> because when I was preparing for this episode this week, I really had to hold myself back from going down this particular rabbit hole too deeply because I agree with you. It's a total distraction. So we've got this movie called The Woman King. We've got Viola Davis, EGOT winner, New York Times bestselling author, actress extraordinaire, that Viola Davis in the titular role, The Woman King. 
It stands to reason, therefore, that she is the lead, that she is the protagonist. Our expectations are that she is the main character, except she isn't. Nawe is the main character. Her storyline, I'm saying that because her storyline is more compelling and it's more developed, but it shouldn't be. Nawe exists as a complication to Naniska's story, but she's presented as an underdog in a performance slash coming of age story. And that's like candy to us. We cannot resist that setup. We as humans are naturally attracted to this type of story. We're wired for it, to use Lisa Kron's uh, phrase. Now, I said off the top of the show this week, and I'm going to say it again, it's like the filmmakers couldn't decide which story they wanted to tell. Nawe's story, like you said, is distracting us from Naniska's story. It's more compelling. And I think the filmmakers shot themselves in the foot, actually, by spending too much time on it. And there's a huge lesson in there for us. It, it really is. So if you're writing a story that has multiple storylines, really pay attention to this. Really watch this movie and analyze it. Because everything in story exists in a hierarchy, and that includes the plot lines in a multiple plot line, multiple point of view story. They are not equal. One of them will be dominant. The others will then fall in line behind it. And subsequent plot lines exist to make the dominant plot line more compelling, more interesting, more complicated, more complex, something, right? They are there in service of the main story. The same is true of subplots. Subplots exist to enhance the main plot. So for me, when Naniska is finally named the woman king at the, like in the closing minutes of the whole movie, there is a spoiler alert at the top of the show. (laughs) I was at best blase about it. I mean, you know, we all know it's going to happen. The whole thing is called the woman king. We know she's going to be the woman king. There's no suspense or drama or intrigue or anticipation there. And that means we don't get any catharsis. Like this is, in Aniska's story, that's the climax. Her being mm-hmm. appointed the woman king is the climax. Except the main story focuses more on Nawe. And even if we look at Naniska's story, that climax doesn't fit with the rest of the story that's been happening. That's really good because I actually go in and make a suggestion just a bit later on, on how I think that could have been set up and played a lot better. And I think we would have had a far more, like even though the story is called The Woman King and even though it's probably inevitable that Naniska is going to be named The Woman King, I think there is potentially a few tweaks that could have been made along the way that would have created that tension and that drama and made that a bit more compelling. Well, that speaks to the narrative drive right? Mm, if, mm. if we as the audience go into the story, knowing that she is going to be named the woman king, that puts us in dramatic irony. Yeah. So the question the reader or the viewer has is not what is going to happen, but how is it going to happen? And this is true of every rom-com, every romance ever. Mm-hmm. Why? Because in a romance, the ending has to be happily ever after. That's why your reader's picking up your book. They want the happily ever after. So they're not wondering 
will the lovers get together and have a committed relationship in the end? Because you better have a happily ever after or you're going to have a riot on your hands and a lot of one-star reviews. (laughs) (laughs) It's how are they going to get together? What is their particular journey like? So it's Mm. the fact that we know she's going to be the woman king isn't a problem in and of itself. No, no, that's right. If you know what narrative... If you understand narrative drive, if you know what dramatic irony is and you know how to work it, that could work. It's the fact that that as a climax doesn't match Naniska's storyline and it's not set up. No, it's not set up properly or ever at risk in my view. So, you know, the stakes of that are never really called into question or yeah. And I, yeah, so I think that that is a major problem and that's probably why um, that we didn't get that cathartic feeling at the end of it because it was never really at stake for her or made in, made obvious as to why what the being named the woman king would actually do in service of the story that they were trying to tell. And, yeah, so I think that, yeah, I think that's why it doesn't work. And, yeah, I'll go into that and talk a bit about where I think it could have worked a lot better if it had been set up appropriately and some of the consequences and um and the risks of those bad negative outcomes being more on the page to build that that tension i actually don't think Norway's story is extremely i think it's got problems as well it does you're right it does so i broke down her external conflict using the same method that i looked at um that i just did for the the story's external conflict. So, you know, what does Nawe want? Well, she wants to be an Agoji warrior. And what are the forces of antagonism or the obstacles? Well, it's really her own attitude and also her ability to develop the skills that she must learn in order to pass the final obstacle course. But what's at stake if she fails? Well, she leaves the palace. And what is the likelihood of this happening well, if she keeps it up, then, you know, her attitude will <laughs> will possibly make her fail. But her struggle to become one of the Agoji doesn't work well because there's no conflict and there's no conflict because the only consequence if she fails to become an Agoji is leaving the palace. So if we saw what happens to the women who choose to leave, and there is a negative outcome for them, you know, that their lives are infinitely worse having left, then we'd understand what's at stake for Nawi and we don't ever see it. So then once Nawi becomes an Agoji, then the conflict she experiences aligns with that of the central story conflict. But I think Nawi's training takes up valuable story time. So from when she starts training to when the Oyo enter the castle, it's about 25 minutes of story time. And this means that the global force of antagonism isn't creating obstacles or trouble for the protagonist. So the focus on Nawi also stores the development of the more interesting conflict in the movie, and that's Naniska's internal conflict. Now, you're probably thinking that I've really missed the mark here because Nawi turns out to be one thread in Naneska's story arc or her character arc. So just hear me out, right? <laughs> the very large conflict that's established at the beginning of the story is almost too big 
and the stakes are too high to care about. So the fall of the Dahomey Empire is extremely high stakes. So what can the protagonist do to affect the outcome by themselves? Well, not very much. So as storytellers, we need to make the large conflict interesting by making it personal to the protagonist. And this is where the internal conflict comes into play. Now, Janice Hardy says, and I quote, internal conflicts are the emotional, ethical or mental struggles a character faces while trying to decide what to do about an external problem, end quote. And that's on page 77 of her book. For Naniska, the point where the conflict becomes personal is when she sees General Oba Ade again. Now, he is fighting for the Oyo, and he also raped and tortured Naniska when she was a young woman. So the external conflict has thrown up an internal conflict for Naniska, and this is exactly what the external conflict should do. The arrival of Obe is going to force Naniska to overcome an emotional struggle she didn't have at the start of the movie. The internal conflict is more about needs than wants, and it can be about the protagonist's story arc if we want their understanding of the world or their way of acting in the world to change. Now, for Naniska, I have broken down her internal conflict in a similar way. So what does she need? Well, she needs to overcome the shame and fear she carries because of Oba. And the forces of antagonism are General Oba and also Nawi, who is the product of Oba's cruelty towards Naniska. So what's at stake if Naniska doesn't overcome her shame? Well, the answer is, I am not sure. What I think is meant to happen is Naniska will not be able to defeat the Oyo until she defeats Oba. And only then will she truly become the woman king and accept herself as Nawe's mother. However, what happens on screen is that the external and the internal conflict share the same obstacles and stakes. So Naniska doesn't have to make a difficult choice between her wants and her need. So yes, King Geza has indicated that he will make Naniska the woman king as long as she doesn't disobey his orders and fight the Oyo at the port. Now, this situation is a complication, but at no point in the story does Naniska indicate that she wants to be the woman king or that she needs to be the woman king to defeat the Oyo. Now, disobeying the king, it probably won't be great for her, but King Geza doesn't treat disobedience with severe consequences as far as we know. He might do, but we do not see this and we do not know that as the audience. So in order for Naniska to resolve the external conflict and her internal conflict, she must fight and defeat Oba. Therefore, the choice to disobey Geza and fight the Oyo at the port is a no-brainer. It's, there's no conflict, there's no tension there. So the conflict in The Woman King would have been more interesting if Naniska's want and her needs were in opposition to each other. So, for example, 
If Naniska's ability to stop the cycle of selling prisoners to the slave trade relied on her becoming the woman king and then the king told her to remain in the palace so that he can crown her, but then it's in contrast with her need to fight and beat Oba and find Nawi, which means she has to go to the port and disobey King Geza and then potentially have to give up being the woman king. So if the woman king is important to the external need, but it's something that she has to sacrifice to resolve her internal desires, it's a really big choice for her and the choice is far more compelling. And it would create a situation where the conflict between the external want and the internal need exists. And Naniska would have to decide who she is and what she stands for. So she also would have to pay a price for choosing her need over her want, but also vice versa. So the choices our characters make have to be hard for them. They have to pose a real dilemma. And the greater the consequences for choosing either the want or the need, the greater the conflict for the protagonist. The Woman King establishes the external conflict efficiently and effectively in the first two minutes of the film. But the combination of unclear stakes and consequences, coupled with a lack of conflict between Naniska's wants and needs, results in a lack of tension in the story. Well, that's my theory. Valerie, what do you reckon? Do you agree? Do you think that that's, does that make sense, what I'm saying there? I think you nailed it. I really do. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and you you mentioned a minute ago that um, the the broader storyline of the uh, selling slaves that the the stakes were too high for them to resonate. I would I would maybe reword that to say the stakes are too broad. Mm-hmm. They're not mm-hmm. specific enough. Yes, yeah. And, and I'm only sort of nitpicking on this because I really am nitpicking because we tend to hear that we want our stakes to be really high, right? Yeah. So what you're saying is not that the stakes are too high. They're too high level. They're too well, they're broad. Too abstract. Yeah, too they're too abstract. abstract, right? So the survival of the kingdom is a very abstract concept is it is it's you're right it's a broad and very far-reaching thing as opposed to necessarily being too high so yeah I see what you mean in terms of the phrasing but yeah it's an abstraction it and that's why that personal the personal um stakes or the personal conflict really is important to tie the two of those concepts together I think that's that's how I see it this is why it's important for writers to be very specific Mm. Uh, if you haven't heard the term specificity <laughs> tossed around yet, then hang around the storytelling world a little bit longer and you'll get really sick and tired of hearing it. But it's crucial. And what our, how do I put this? What our instinct is, is to be more general so that our story appeals to the broadest number of readers or viewers. But actually the exact opposite is true. The more specific we are with what it is the main character is going through, 
the more it will appeal to a broader number of people because it's not the details of the character's situation that's important. It's the emotional setup of the Mm. character. It's Mm -hmm. the emotions that the character is going through as a result of these specific circumstances. So there, there isn't enough specificity here. And for all of the reasons that you have just pointed out, we don't know what's at stake. So she doesn't become woman king. So what? (laughs) Does she care? If she doesn't care, we don't care. If it's not important to the character, it's not important to the reader because the character isn't, is the stand in for the reader or viewer. Yeah. And I think that really fell a bit, um, that wasn't emphasized enough for me and how that was important to the story. So she, if that was how she had to, if she needed to do that to enable her then to, you know, stop the slave trade or to um, change people's minds about how to use uh, the farming and the palm oil and the production of palm oil in order to create an alternate, an alternate economic um, lever for the king to pull, then that was not set up properly and it could have been and used to great advantage to create that ex- that conflict between the external want and the internal need where she really did have to make a choice. And it's not until um, Nawe starts to look like she might be sold into slavery and even then she kind of gets an out, right? She kind of is not really, she's going to be um, saved by the um I've forgotten the character's name, um, but the gentleman whose mother is from Dahomey. And so she's kind of given an out. But if she was actually really in the cages and stayed there and been on the ship almost going out to be sold and never to come back again, again, that would have raised, it would have then put, it would have joined the external conflict and the internal conflict really nicely. So I think there are a couple of missed opportunities in, in my view. Yeah. On that note, in the cages, um, mm. Igozi has the fastest healing arm in the history of broken <laughs> bones. <laughs> and it really, it took me out of the movie because she's supposed yes. to have this broken arm, but it's it's broken for maybe 10 seconds and then she goes into this big fight and and I don't know. Anyway. I think, I think she's a tough character, right? And it's meant to it's meant to consolidate her toughness, her, her mental, her ability, her mental ability to overcome the physical pain. But yes, but if your arm is broken, your arm right. is broken, you can't wield a machete with a no. broken um, arm because it's a big, no, massive break. Yeah, they're it's heavy. Like dramatic, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's a point where you can't suspend your disbelief anymore. <laughs> that's right. Yes. And I'm pretty good at suspending disbelief, but- there are there are some plot holes that you only notice after multiple viewings when you're doing a mm, fine analysis. Mm. I am willing to let those go. But there are others that jump out at you at a first viewing and take you out of the story entirely. Those are not cool. And this was one of those to me. How did you go this week then with that cast and, and how that was created? Did that work or not work in this film? Well... Uh, as I said, I just I focused on Naniska because she is the titular character, and I think she's supposed to be the main character, even though, as we've already discussed, it's more about Nawi. Okay, but anyway, I'm just going to focus on Naniska. I want to start 
by repeating something I said last week, because it's important. This is an important concept for us to get into our heads when we're either editing a book that we've already written or, or a screenplay we've already written, or if we're sitting down to start a new one. The idea behind cast design is that every major character in your story exists to bring out an aspect of your protagonist. In other words, your main character develops because of her interaction with the other characters. Therefore, when we talk about character development, what we're talking about is how a protagonist changes from the beginning of a story to the end of a story as a result of the interactions she's had with the other characters in the story. So when we think about cast design, we really need to know who our protagonist is at the beginning and who she'll be at the end. Then we need to create a cast of supporting characters that's going to make that transition possible. So that begs the question, who is Naniska at the beginning? Who is she at the end? Well, in the beginning, she's a brave general who has no hesitation uh, to go into battle. She's not emotionless, but she does have a very tight lid on her emotions, which makes sense for a general. She disagrees with the slave trade in the kingdom, and she wants the king to trade palm oil and gold instead of people. Now, in the end, she's still a brave general who has no hesitation to go into battle. She still believes that they should trade palm oil and gold instead of people, although that storyline kind of gets lost by the end. But there's nothing to contradict it. We know she still believes this. In fact, it's because of these things that she's ultimately promoted to the position of woman king at the end. The only thing that's different is now she's able to show a bit of her emotion, at least toward her newly found daughter, Nawe. So I don't think Naniska actually changes in the story. I think in The Woman King, what changes is our perception of who Naniska is. We understand why she has herself so shut down at the beginning, why she has such a tight lid on everything. But even our new perception of her is slight. Contrast this with the change in Nawe, who is not supposed to be the main character, and there's no contest. There's a much bigger shift in Nawe's character, which again is why her storyline is more compelling than Naniska's. But I'm going with Naniska as the main character. So if her softer side is being brought out over the course of the story, we need characters to do that. Characters that enable her to express that part of herself. And there are two. It's Nawe, who's her daughter, and Amenza, who's her bestie and her spiritual guide. But the shift is so slight, there's not a lot more I can say about it, to be honest. There, there isn't really any difference. Yes, she was a general. Now she's the woman king, so she's elevated in social status. But that's not a change really in who she is. And this is not a status story. And we've already talked about how that it doesn't have anything to do with her storyline anyway. So Viola Davis hasn't been given a lot to work with. What she has been given to work with, she has really done an incredible job with. Um, in, in the hands of a lesser actress, I think this story would have fallen apart. This movie would have fallen apart very quickly. The only reason it's as compelling as it is, is because Viola Davis is capable of captivating our attention and holding it. But overall, with Naniska, the shift from the beginning of the story to the end is really slight. So I want to instead now shift to 
this concept of a character dimension as it relates to Naniska. So what do I mean by dimension? Well, Robert McKee defines it as a set of conflicting traits. So the example I always give is someone who abhors intolerance, but is themselves intolerant. Dimensions are important in a character because the more dimensions there are, the more interesting the character is. And your character needs to have a few dimensions to give you enough to write about to fill a whole novel or a whole screenplay. One of the reasons Naniska doesn't have very many dimensions is because she doesn't have a lot of screen time. <laughs> there is no, there's no time to develop it. Like everything else in a story, character dimensions exist in a hierarchy. So there's going to be a dominant dimension that really defines a character, but there will also be lesser dimensions that provide color and depth. And how many dimensions you want your character to have is really up to you. I'm, I'm doing some study into this to see if there's any kind of standard or guidelines or something to, to help us here. So far, three to five dimensions is looking like something that can support a full-length novel. Stay tuned because I'm early in my study. But so far, it's looking like three to five. Naniska has one, which is unfortunate. So these conflicting traits can show up in all kinds of areas. And the way to find them is to look for those times when the character appears to be one thing, but then proves herself to be something else. Now, a great example came up last season uh, when we studied the boy in the striped pajamas. There, the father character loved his family and cared for his family and their, their safety and security was very important to him. But yet he was the guy in charge of uh, killing a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of families, a whole lot of children, just like his own. So in The Woman King, we're looking for those times where Naniska is behaving one way and it appears to contradict another way that she has already behaved. Now, I think her dominant set of traits or, or the dominant dimension has to do with the change that we perceive in her. And I suspect this is going to be the case in all successful stories. That's my hypothesis, but I think it's a good one. So what does that mean for Naniska? Well, outwardly, she is a battle-hardened warrior and she appears cold and almost heartless. Uh, in the opening scene, when she sees one of the uh, Agoji mourning the loss of another Agoji, her friend, Naniska's only response is, bring me stronger warriors. Naniska is the bravest in the kingdom, and she's a hero. Now, inwardly, Naniska is traumatized and brokenhearted. She's like a crab, right? Who's got a really hard shell, but the shell is there to protect, to protect a soft, vulnerable interior. When General Oba arrives on the scene, Naniska becomes so scared that she gets sick. She's not brave at all. And instead of being a hero, she's now a victim. So what kind of a cast do you need to have to dramatize this kind of a dimension? Well, 
you're going to need a powerful enemy so that there can be battles so that we can see Naniska's bravery. Yeah. And we have that. We have a powerful enemy in uh, General Oba. Uh, in the Woman King, they have a Menza because uh, who's the bestie, right? And the spiritual advisor, because it's through Naniska's conversation with a Menza that Naniska's internal becomes externalized. Without a Menza, Everything is happening inside of Naniska's head, which will work in a novel. You could get away with that in a novel because one of the things we can do as novelists is take our reader right into the heads of the character. In a film, that's a problem. That's, this is where you end up with things like voiceover. One way to get around it is to have a character like a Menza, like a, a confidant of some sort, so your main character can talk through their troubles with this bestie friend so that the audience can listen to their conversation. And now we know what's happening with Naniska. We, we know her hopes and her fears and her dreams. We find out her backstory. We learn what she believes and what she hopes for. And we learn that she's got no time for the nuts, <laughs> which was a funny bit. We know this all because it's Amenza who is enabling Naniska's internal to be externalized. And they needed Nawe to show the depth of Naniska's pain and to show her capacity for love, right? Because in the opening scene, Naniska doesn't seem to have any capacity for love. At the end, she has great capacity for love. And that's because of Naniska, uh, because of Nawe. So that's the main dimension when it comes to Naniska. But of course, there's another little dimension in there, and it's that Naniska is both loyal to her king, but she defies her king. Now, I think this is a pretty watered-down dimension that I had to really scrape to find. I don't think it works well as a character dimension, although it's technically there. So all in all, I don't think that Naniska is a particularly dimensional character, which is a shame because she could have been. However, because the filmmakers were spending so much time on the other storylines, her storyline and her character just didn't have time to develop. In McKee's book on character, on page 125, he writes this, Dimensional characters arouse our curiosity by making us wonder how two sides of a contradiction can live within one person. That, in turn, makes them unpredictable and all the more fascinating. From moment to moment, who knows which side will show up? Well, because Naniska isn't particularly dimensional, that is, she's not very complex, she doesn't arouse our curiosity very much or hold our attention very long. The, the curiosity that is aroused, the attention that she does garner, I think is due to Viola Davis's performance and not the writing of the script. And so I think the filmmakers missed the mark on this one. Now, here's the thing with this particular point of theory. And I said it last week. I'm probably going to say it every single week. This point of theory is really easy to understand, but it can be a real bugger to implement. It takes work. It takes hard creative effort on our part. And because of that, most people are going to phone it in. Most writers are going to think that this is overkill or that McKee doesn't know what he's talking about, or that this dimension stuff isn't really necessary. Now, if that's you, that's fine by me. It's your choice. It's your story. 
You don't have to try and create a complex character at all if you don't want to. But if that is your choice, then you need to know the consequences of that choice. And the truth is that flat characters who are exactly who they appear to be, those are the types of characters that generative AI is spitting out. Those aren't the types of characters that artists create. And if there is no difference between your writing and the writing of generative AI, then you're out of business before you even begin. However, if you're an artist and you develop your craft, you just might have a shot. All right, Melanie, that's all I have to say about that right now. (laughs) What's the action step for this week? (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right. So (laughs) the action step for this week, based on some of the analysis that I did in The Woman King or in this episode, is I want you to ask yourself, what does your protagonist want? I want you to ask, what's at stake if they don't get their want? And finally, what is the main force stopping them from getting their object of desire? And if you can't answer any of these questions, then you have a problem with the conflict in your story. But the good news is now you know what areas to focus on so you can fix it. And that wraps it up for this week. Join us again next week when we discuss the full Monty. Woohoo! Can we leave our hat on? Yes, we can leave our hat on. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> to support the show, please leave us a rating and review and tell your writer friends about us. For access to writing templates and worksheets and more than 70 hours of training, subscribe to my inner circle by visiting valeriefrancis.ca slash inner circle and follow me on X, Instagram and threads at Valerie underscore Francis. If you'd like to get Melanie's tips about books to help you read like a writer, visit her on Facebook and Instagram under Melanie Hill author, or find out more about her at melaniehill.com.au. And remember, story theory doesn't have to be difficult. It's a tool to help you write more, not less. So take it one step at a time and have fun. And we will see you next week with your hats on too. Mm-hmm.